Welcome to the Cross Council Podcast, where we believe that negative emotions should not run your life. Join Mary Carlton and Steve Freitag as they share the keys they've learned from over 20 years of helping people find genuine freedom and live a more meaningful life through the truth, love, and healing of Jesus. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is part two of a conversation we started last week where we're looking at uh, things outside of God that we find our security in coping mechanisms, uh, ideas of who we are, identity, things we place our value in, that when they're taken from us can cause us to doubt a lot of what we are and who we are when we should be looking to Christ. So we'll continue that in just a second. But first, a quick word from Jenny. Hi, this is Jenny. My role is to manage the relationship between you and Cross Council. It's been a pleasure connecting with so many of you over the years, and we're so grateful that you are a part of the growing number of people tuning into our podcast. More than ever before, people are realizing the importance of maintaining mental health, but they're still struggling to find genuine and lasting peace. However, more and more people are coming to Cross Council, engaging in our melt process and finding genuine freedom from lifelong burdens, including depression, anxiety, and addiction. God is truly blessing our ministry, and we are growing faster than ever before, which is why I want to take a moment to invite you to partner with us. We have never turned anyone away for their inability to pay for a session, and our team of donors is vital to keeping that a reality. Please join our team. With your support, we can continue to offer the profound healing of transformational prayer that has helped so many find real and lasting peace. Just go to crosscouncil.com and click the donate button to get started. We can't do this alone, and your generous monthly gift will change someone's life. Yeah, no, uh, one of the things, I guess, that has been standing out to me, and we've already touched on it a little bit as far as ministry is concerned, you know, like what we talked about earlier, just kind of going in an even more broad direction with that. Like, it's so interesting to me to see, like, the good things that get in the way and can almost become idols or sacred cows or like, this is who I am. This is my cornerstone of my identity outside of Christ, mm-hmm. even if they're good things. And even if they're things that are like positive attributes of Christ, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm the worship guy. I bring, I worship the loudest. I worship the best, that sort of thing. Or, oh, I, uh, you know, one of the things that I had for a long time uh, was I shouldn't have uh, any issues because I need to be a small group leader and I need to take care of other people. And that's my thing, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, it's interesting to me how many times something good becomes something that it ought not to be, or it's in the wrong priority. Does that make sense? What do you guys think of that? Definitely. I can relate to just stories that Wes has told me because he was a worship leader for many years, probably 25 years. Oh, and cool. uh, and most of that was in a church where they saw really amazing things happening. And yeah, for he said it was always a struggle. He would always have to really go to God with motivations in his heart because people would come up to him like, you're my favorite worship leader. Oh, I can just feel the Lord's presence every time you're, you know, all that stuff that can go to your head. And he said, I learned quickly that on my worst day when I had a horrible argument on the way to church. And I just felt like I had nothing (laughs) and he would just be in a bad mood and he'd be up there doing worship. Really good things would happen. So God just taught him 
It has nothing to do with you, Wes. Just make the music. I'll do the rest. <laughs> but it, it, you know, I'm sure as you look around today with all the the hype in worship leaders, it must be a struggle for many of them. You know, to people are idolizing them and all of that to to keep your feet grounded and keep your humility, realizing you have nothing to offer without God breathing in and through your gift. That would be tough. And there was somebody that I met with that wasn't a paid worship leader, but was a volunteer worship leader. And she recognized how much of a payback she got from the feedback and that she was mm-hmm. able to, and this isn't Jenny, <laughs> just so people know. Um, <laughs> of course not. Of course not. <laughs> the, the payback she got from other people and the nice things they would say, but also being in charge of all these people. And um, mm-hmm. she recognized how much pain there was in her life from not being heard. Mm-hmm. But as long as she was, the talent, as long as she was in charge, then she was able to be heard. And there were times where she wasn't heard as she was a worship leader. And so she went back to growing up and being maybe 13 years old or so, and her brother was missing some money. And for some reason, she got blamed for it. There was no other explanation. It had to be her. She had to be the one taking the money. And uh, she said, even though I was a girl, dad took it out on my hide, like, because I was lying. I wasn't fessing up to what I had done. And then days later, my brother, you know, found the money and it was in a place that he had just forgotten that he'd stashed it. And so she was exonerated, but there there wasn't even an acknowledgement of, oh, sorry that we blamed you. Mm. And so there was this sense of betrayal and this idea that my voice doesn't matter. What I have to say doesn't matter. I'm not being heard. And so one of the coping mechanisms was to achieve well, to, to have <laughs> musical ability, and then to be able to command a team, because then I am heard. And the more that she got freedom and healing and truth and peace from Jesus, the more that she could more freely lead without that having been one of the driving factors in her ministry. Huge. Wow, that's so great. Boy, I'm I'm reading a book well, I've actually been reading it for a couple of years because it takes forever to get through it. It's by David Ravenhill, and it's called Surviving the Anointing. And it's basically a book for people in ministry because he's seen, because his dad was the well-known, who's not here anymore, he's with Jesus, but Leonard Ravenhill was pretty well-known. And he so David grew up in a family seeing ministry and ministers and what happens. And he gave a statistic that was really shocking to me. He said 5% of people who feel called and go into ministry and are passionate about what they've been called to, only 5% of the at the end of their life are still in ministry. They've fallen away because of all kinds of issues that come to the surface eventually, right? And the greater, supposedly greater in the eyes of man, you become the more likely those issues are going to come to the surface. And he he talks a lot in the book about that. Undealt with things that God's been trying to get to in the hearts of us as we minister to his people that continually get pushed to the side. And so it's it's really important to look at those things. It's something that 
that we do at Cross Council look at our own issues and our own wrong thinking that gives us wrong motivations for doing anything that we do. And we're not perfect. We are, we still have a long journey like everyone, but just to want to encourage anyone who's serving God's people, which should be all of us, if you call yourself a Christian, to take the time to see what's my motivation here, because it will get found out someday if you continue serving God, because he, he wants you to know him on a deep level and not hold on to wrong beliefs that are driving you to do what you're doing. So I loved that example, Steve, that that's a great example of what that looks like. And I think that runs deep in all of us. It runs deep in, in ministry people just as much as it does anybody else, because it's so easy to take what we do to become the source of, uh, pride or or self-confidence it's like that's what we put our faith in is our abilities and of course i think we're called to to like i said in the last podcast to do things well Mm -hmm. but when that becomes our identity because i've done something right and i'll confess like like i said last week we went on this once in a lifetime trip in this cruise and just i can't help but people watch right i think everybody does that and mm-hmm. and i i confess like my judgmentalism there are certain people where you saw them walking around or they like oh i think that person's really used to having everybody bring them stuff not them having to go up and get their own things or do their own things it's just it's just interesting i catch myself it being judgmental but it's there are some people that just seem like regular folks they're just doing their things but then there's other people that i judge like mm-hmm. huh I wonder what they're really like. I bet that person is the head of a company or head of a branch of an organization and some things that they have to do to get, you know, to go up and get things is a little bit below them. And I know I'm wrong to think that, but it's just so easy to, to, and who knows, maybe I'm dead wrong, but there's just an air about certain people that I pick up on, whether it's Mm -hmm. right or not. Yeah, I totally can relate to that. And then I catch myself going, okay, then that's me. That's one more way of me saying, well, then I'm better than you because I've judged you. I don't do that. Oh, okay. Well, that makes one of (laughs) us. It's like the guy, no, no, I'm I'm in my heart saying those things wrongly, right? I think about the the guy standing on the corner where Jesus was telling the parable about how he was beating his breast and saying, you know, how wonderful he was. And yeah, just the the whole, I don't act like that person. <laughs> I think that's the thought that goes through our mind, isn't it? When we see mm-hmm. things that we judge, well, I would never do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I, at least I've overcome that. You know, speaking of people in ministry, I, I remember a session I did with a lady who was in the church that I was at. She was in leadership. And at the time it was a pretty large church and it was a significant position that she had. And she had anger issues and she'd been told that she needed to deal with that. So lucky me, you know, I was really the only ministry that, that they had. And so she came to me and, and it's, I, I don't know what has happened with this lady, but I do know that as she started to open up and look at the issues that were in her heart, she started realizing some of what she was feeling was anger over not ever being heard, like you talked about, Steve, Mm. not ever um, being a value. And 
as soon as she started feeling those things, unfortunately, she would immediately refute that, that she had those kind of thoughts or feelings. She, and, and I hate to say it, this was quite a while ago. She, she never got any freedom in that session because she was adamantly opposed to admitting that she felt any inadequacy at all. And it showed in her life. She was a very hard person to be around or to work with. And, you know, I felt for the leadership having to work with this person because her defenses were so strong against feeling any vulnerability there. And as soon as that vulnerability was threatened, out came the anger and the performance. And and I have to say it was a really tough session to do because I could not I could not move her to a place of, of being willing. Now today I'm a little more skilled than I was back then. And I probably could find a way to reach her, to get her to see what's going on and that Jesus wanted to heal that little parts in her that were so protective, that were so afraid of being vulnerable. But it was, it was really sad because God needed to be her strength, but because she was strong Everyone else was put off by that. And she was not an easy person to work with. And so in that vein, ultimately, she's not going to be successful. So hopefully she's changed and, and dealt with those things. And God, you know, he's always working on us. He never gives up. So hopefully she's a different person now and is enjoying more of the benefits and blessings of the gifts that he's put in her. But that was very tragic and probably not uncommon. I guess my mind jumped to perfectionism when it comes to worker ministry as well. Again, doing things excellent, excellently, if that's a word, I don't know. Is it a word? Excellent. Let me look it up. Yeah. We'll take yeah, it. Feel, we'll accept yeah. it. We, we don't yeah. have to challenge. Yeah. Go ahead. But what's at the heart of perfectionism? What, what drives perfectionism? Fear. Mm-hmm. And we could say, you know, I'm not perfect. How many people say I'm well, I'm not perfect. Well, yeah. Thanks for the the update there. Appreciate right, that. Right, right, right. But what, mm-hmm. what drives perfectionism is fear. And the thing we probably fear the most is utter solitude, rejection. That's the thing that we mm-hmm. probably fear the most. There's a whole litany of things that can come in front of that. But uh, I was working with somebody that was in ministry and doing pretty well working with teenagers. And yet, this perfectionism of being defensive by the senior pastor who would check in with with her doing uh, ministry, and it tied right back into being a young girl and, and being homeschooled, and how it was constantly having to get everything right. I, mean, I, I think mm-hmm. homeschooling can be fantastic. It's about learning the material, not just checking the boxes and so it was but it was so that was constantly the perspective learn the material know the material show that you have a grasp on what's going on and there was just this uh math uh section i can't remember exactly what it was but it was just could not get it and then uh, dad would get pulled in to do the the tutoring and even then the frustration of dad not like it's Come on, Janet, figure it out, right? It's just, it's mm-hmm. so obvious to me, whatever her, I, you know, I'm not going to say her name, but her not being able to get that perfect 
instilled this fear inside of her. And it showed up even yeah. trying to prove herself in ministry, trying to prove herself to the lead pastor constantly. And the way that her kids acted was also a reflection on her. And it's just mm. messed up. It's like, of course, you're responsible to, when you're in ministry and you're teaching, there's a higher requirement for that, but you're not responsible for how other kids act, especially outside of the church walls. If they're if they're doing things within the group and they're making fun of people or they're teasing or they're they're being obnoxious, sure you call them out on that, but you're not responsible for all these other things that these kids are doing. And parents, of course, then bypass the youth pastor or the youth minister. They go to the senior pastor and say, "Well, my kid has a problem because the youth pastor isn't doing his or her job." Mm. And how messed up that system is as well. It's like. She was messed up in her perfectionism stuff, but the church is also messed up in how we look at things and how we look at our performance and the lack of grace and understanding when it comes to trying to grow kids up or grow ourselves up in the ways of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Let's not go there. <laughs> with, <laughs> with all you know we we all know that we've experienced things at church because it's a intimate group of family right so you're going to experience all kinds of difficult things but it was interesting that Wes had a a meeting with a guy not long ago and it was really great to see the other side of that someone actually being humble and agreeing to look at what what they were doing that wasn't right and I wasn't there. He just related to me the meeting that they had where he confronted this person on some wrong thinking, wrong behavior that was very hurtful that this man didn't even realize because the, we all have blind spots. And this was one of his. And it was just this feeling, this sense of failure that he was trying to cover up and the way that he was doing that was hurtful to other people. And so Wes sat with him and he actually cried and he said, I feel so inadequate. I feel like such a failure. And Wes didn't, I mean, he doesn't do the ministry that we do. He's kind of a door opener. So he he just encouraged the guy, you know, God, God doesn't see you as a failure. He has this calling and gifting in you that is so beneficial, but the way it's being used is very hurtful. And, and the guy was very open to getting some, um, some wise counsel. And I was, I was just so encouraged by that, that he actually broke down and cried and said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I know I've doing been doing wrong things, hurtful things. And, you know, they agreed to just keep meeting occasionally just to see, you know, how he's doing, but Wes also encouraged him to seek ministry with us to get to the bottom of why he had, he had this sense of failure so that he truly can be the man that God's created him to be. So I love it when I hear those testimonies too, because there are vulnerable, great people in ministry that we know who are doing a great job and who care about their hearts and, and they care about doing things with the right motive, right? Because ultimately, we're working for the Lord. We're, everything we're doing is for Him. And the more we can strip away our own sense of value we get from it, the, the wrong sense of my importance because I do it, the more He's going to be able to shine through. And, and I think about where Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven. 
not treasures on earth. And I, I know some people in ministry that are people I admire that what they do is whatever God tells them to do. And their motivation is to store up treasures in heaven. This thing that we do, this suffering we're going through, and it is legitimate, you know, like being beaten and jailed and, you know, true suffering that we're storing up treasures in heaven. We were preaching, we were, you know, rescuing little children. We were doing what God called us to do. This happened to us. We're storing up treasures in heaven. Just keeping that motivation, I think, is a good perspective for all of us to keep when we're when we're in ministry or in in uh, honestly, as a Christian, we're all in ministry. Right. Whether it's at a workplace or at a church or a pair of ministry like cross council, we should all be in it to serve the Lord and to do everything we do is unto him. And one of the ways I think to make that practical is thinking about what we do. It's to make other people successful, people who are pursuing Jesus. And it's, I would admit that it's frustrating when there are some people that come in. Sometimes it's because somebody else told them they need to come in. And we walk them through what the melt process is that you've got to kind of relive some of those memories. You have to at least to some degree feel some of that emotion, identify those lies, and then offer those things up to Jesus. And with some people, you can explain that until you're blue in the face, as the saying mm-hmm. goes, and they still don't either get it or they get it and they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And they walk out and you're like, well, my goodness, that was seemingly not a good use of either of our times. Mm-hmm. to sit there and just kind of talk about stuff. But when people decide to step in and to go for it, their lives start to change. And it's like I tell people, whether they decide to jump into the process or not, I'll still sleep at night. But I am much more, quote unquote, satisfied when I see people going for it. Because mm-hmm. I know if they go for it, their lives are going to change. Their circumstances don't necessarily change, but they become much more equipped, mended, healed to be able to endure those things. So Mm -hmm. I do have it in my mind all the time that our success at Cross Council has to do to some extent, people jumping in, getting freedom and finding success for themselves. Because that builds up the body of Christ, right? there, And that the ripple effect is crazy in certain circumstances because one person in one family decides to make a Mm -hmm. difference that their whole family changes, their their circle of influence, the people that they recommend to come here, they just start to see a difference in lives that they just can only attribute to Jesus. And so the more that we keep in mind, it's not about us necessarily it's about the kingdom and the kingdom grows and improves and is influenced by other people who are walking with jesus more closely and cooperating with god and what they've been called to to do by him so that's that's the reason why we've lasted as long as we have is because of the testimonies right the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony Mm -hmm. yeah and i'd have to say that compassion for people really drives me you know, and I'm, I know it does you guys too, as, as we see people hurting, feeling that compassion, wanting to help them get to a better place in their life so they don't have to stay stuck where they are. That is a huge motivator in what we do and why we do it. 
right? Because we're not satisfied with the status quo. We're not satisfied with just limping along. We want so much more for people than that. This has been the Cross Council Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, share with your friends, and look for us on social media. The world will become a much better place, and Jesus will be seen in a much better light the more we are transformed by His truth and love. We'll see you next time, everybody.